Praise God. Welcome to everybody tonight. If you're a guest, if you're visiting with us tonight, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Glad to have you. If you're watching us online, wherever you may be watching from, welcome you as a part of this service tonight as well. Pray that you're blessed wherever you may be. Give honor to our bishop and to Mother Wright tonight. Praise God. Amen. I'm going to uh, spend a little bit of time sort of laying a foundation to get to what I, the main part of my message, the main part of what I feel like the Lord has given me tonight. So for a little while, this will sort of be just foundational to get to that, but it ties together. So Revelation chapter 10, verse 5. Revelation 10 and verse number 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven the things that therein are. We didn't get here by some evolutionary process I don't care what public school tells our kids I don't care what colleges tell our kids what anybody else we got here by him who created heaven and the things that are therein and the earth and the things that are there and the things that there and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. That there should be time no longer. Father, thank you for your presence here tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together as people of like precious faith. I ask God that you would speak to our hearts, give us hearts and spirits that are open to you tonight. That You might say what you desire to say and that our hearts would be good ground for the seed of your word tonight that it might produce in our lives. Not just produce temporarily, not just produce for a short season of time, but it would bring about lasting impact and change in our life. I pray, Father, that you would anoint me tonight. I trust you depend upon you. Without you, I can do nothing, Lord. Trust you tonight, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you were to study out some of the scholars, <clears throat> some of the reads, some of the commentaries on the last phrase of this verse, verse number six, you would find some degree of controversy, if you would, conflict over what exactly this phrase that there should be time no longer. Part of, part of the argument or part of one of the interpretations is that what he's saying is the delay, the time that has been waited for has now come to an end and he's going to act. The other basic part of that is that time has come to an end. 
There is some degree of argument and debate, again, if you read the commentaries, but I do believe, and there's some degree of scholarly views that say as well that while more than likely there really is, as with a lot of things, more than one specific thing or one idea that's being communicated. And so I do believe that in this phrase that there should be time no longer, it means that time will cease. God is eternal. God is eternal. God had no beginning, and God has no ending. And I realize that you and I are not eternal in the context of this flesh, our brains. We do have a soul. From the point God created it, that soul is now going to live forever. But most of what we think of in life has to do with this dimension of time. It has to do with the time we are giving, given from birth until death. But beyond that, the scripture says there will be a point in which time is going to cease. This, this, this temporal dimension of time that God has inserted into eternity only lasts for a finite period of time. If you were to drop an ice cube into a glass of water and that Water that's in the glass represent eternity and the ice cube represent time. You let that ice cube sit in that glass of room temperature water and at some point that ice cube is going to dissolve back into the water and it will no longer be identifiable as an ice cube. If I could put it that way, that's how time is. In the beginning, God said, and when God said, I, I'm not here tonight to profess, argue, or debate the moment at which time began, but from my own elementary perspective, opinion, it was at the point when God started creation, that time began, that marked the beginning of time, and then there will be a point at which time ends. Time will be no more. And this temporal dimension that you and I live in, that we associate with, that our five senses is so accustomed to, there will be a point at which this dimension does not exist any longer. The Bible says, for us that have hope and thus that are saved, there will be a point at which this mortal shall put on immortality. This corruption shall put on incorruption. And whether it's by grave or by rapture, as believers, we are expecting there to be a change and so we talk about we believe in eternal life but the bottom line is every individual is going to have eternal life see we mostly think of eternal life in the context of heaven in a good thing but everybody's going to live forever the issue, the question is, where are you going to live forever? But you're going to live forever somewhere. We stand at the graveside and at the committal, we say we commit the, we commit the spirit of this person back to God, which gave it. We commit the body of this person back to the dust from which it came. But we commit the soul of this person into the hands of a just and a living God. I realize tonight that we recognize and we identify each other by the house that we live in but that's not us 
I realize we recognize by our hairstyle, hair color, facial features and size and all of that, we can recognize those that we know from the back simply by their profile and we can recognize people for various reasons, but that's not the real you. That's only the temporary house that you live in. You see, we can debate what happens after death. We can argue about what happens after death, and we can argue, in fact, is there really anything after death? And in some ways, without faith, there is no real certainty from a human standpoint that we can come to. Let's be honest, the stories, the movies of people's after-death experiences, even some of us as believers are skeptical of. Of course, it always amazes me, no matter how the person's living or lived before they had that experience, they always see a light. I have a theory for that. The theory is that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. So if a person does have some kind of some kind of experience in death and come back to life if they were on your side wouldn't you want them to think they're on your side on the right side So if you scare them to death even though they're already dead you can't scare them to death but if you scare them to death after they're dead and they come back to life they're going to change but if they die and no matter what condition they were in maybe just the night before they got through committing adultery but they died and now they see this great light and happen to come back what does that say? You're on the right track man you died you saw the light keep going. And so, while there may be those that are believable, and we might even believe the bottom line is, from my perspective, I don't don't know of tangible evidence that I can give you that there is life after death. There is one thing that's not debatable. We all die. There's nothing to debate about that. I don't care what potions you use. I don't care how many nips and tucks and stretches and additions and all that you get done. I don't care what kind of creams you put on. There's coming a point you're going to die. You may die looking younger than you are, but you're going to die. One of the things that's the most humorous to me, and if, if you're here tonight and you're doing it, I'm not trying to pick on you, and, but I, I just, these guys, some, I see some of these men, they, I mean, their faces is wrinkled up as a prune, but they've got the darkest, blackest, or brownest hair you've ever seen. And I'm 43 years old, and mine's got all kind of stuff in it, and it ain't, it's not the color it was. You might have, I mean, I'm sorry, but, but hiding the gray doesn't change the years you've lived. It is appointed unto man once to die. It's appointed unto man. So it, it's, undeni- it's unarguable you have an appointment with death. And so the bottom line is we, we may argue about what happens afterward, but we know it comes. 
So the question then becomes, how much do you want to gamble with what happens after death? And how much do you want to gamble with what's required to get you to the right place after death? There's a bunch of you tonight that would never go to the Horseshoe Casino in Baltimore. And you'd never go to Atlantic City. And you'd never put a dime in a slot machine in Las Vegas. But you sit gambling with your eternity all the time. depend Just gambling with what it's going to take to get by and can I get by with a minimum and then find out it was enough this isn't school there are no retakes you you don't go back another year and just do the same grade over again if you fail that may be a little bit embarrassing but you can do it this isn't college where you can withdraw from a class and try it again next time this is no this is no exam where the professor says I'll give you a retake you got one shot you got one chance you better get it right I just don't know if all this stuff is necessary, Pastor. I don't know if it's necessary to live this restrictive and live this confined and live this narrow of a way. You may be right, but what if it is? Well, the bottom line is... While I go back to the part that may be arguable, this thing doesn't stop at death. And one way or the other, every human being is going to enter the eternal dimension. You're either going to enter the eternal dimension through death, and death is not the finality. Death is only the beginning. Our problem is, if we, you know what, we, you, don't, you don't view birth as the finality. birth is what the beginning it's nine months of developing the natural house to survive in this temporal world there are there are I, I my understanding there's a there's a rare few number of women that enjoyed being pregnant the great majority of women did not enjoy being pregnant. And I've never heard of any woman that sobbed and mourned and whatever because she delivered her child and it wasn't no longer in her. Because you understood birth is a beginning. It's really sad that we as believers aren't as true to what we say we believe based on our actions because most of us view death as finality. That's why we mourn it so much. But death isn't the beginning. Death's only another birth. Death is the birth into eternity. And so I spend all of this time from natural birth until death preparing just like I prepared in the womb of my mother for nine months to have the ability to live in this life, whether it's two years, ten years, twenty years, thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred years, all of that is simply the womb for my eternal existence. 
So whether I go through death or whether I go through the rapture, I am going to enter an eternal dimension. I've said it several times over the last several months, and I'm just going to preach about it a little bit tonight. I am extremely concerned that much of Christianity, and even in our own in our own ranks, in our own realm, much of what we do has become so focused on this temporal life. Sorry, some of you understand this reference, and I'm not... Try not. I probably may not be able to resist, but I'm going to try not to go beyond just the general reference that some of you get. But I don't really find any place from Genesis to Revelation where there's some big promise about my best life now. What I do find is a whole lot about my best life there. I'll give you an example here in a few moments, but there's unfortunately a lot of folks that are going to end up with a great life here, but that life there is not going to be the one they hope for. Some of you sit tonight contemplating whether or not you're going to keep going, whether or not you're going to keep living for God, whether or not you're going to keep coming to church because of some temporal circumstance and situation. Gonna sell out on eternity over something that's temporal. Encourage me, help me out, preacher, so I can get through this week. Help me out so I can make it through this trial. Help me out so I can make it through this difficulty here and now. And let me forget about the fact that this is all temporary. Paul said we don't look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. Because the things which are seen are temporal or temporary. And the things which are not seen are eternal. That's the reason Paul could say our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And when Paul talks about light affliction, he's not talking about stubbing his toe or getting a splinter in his finger but it's somebody that was shipwrecked somebody that was persecuted somebody that knew what it was to do without somebody that was betrayed by his own brethren somebody that faced adversity somebody that was imprisoned and faced all of that and said it's nothing some of us sit tonight with very very trivial, small problems, discouraged, depressed, ready to give up, accusing God, accusing the church, accusing leadership or over all kind of stuff. One day you and I are going to stand in judgment with Paul and a bunch of others like him. Time will be no longer. People make millions of dollars Individually, companies make millions and millions of dollars collectively off of retirement planning. Helping people to be able to be prepared for the last few years of this. I know I know you folks that are older than me understand this even better than I do, but I I I just I, I mean it, it just seems like it just seems like the clock is just flying by. Somebody, I think it was yesterday. Somebody was, somebody was talking about the Daniel fast last year, a year ago, and, and other things. It's just, it's amazing. It's, it, it's just mind-boggling. And I, I understand. The older you get, the worse that gets. I understand that. 
kind of an interesting to me that whether you're a young person, middle-aged, or an elderly person, seconds or seconds, minutes or minutes, hours or hours, days or days, weeks or weeks, months or months, years or years, and yet those that are young, it, they feel like they feel like seconds are hours and, and days or months, and, and, and in this very same time, those of us that are older feel like those things are just flying by. The clock ticks by and time flies by and we spend all kind of time trying to invest and prepare and be ready to, to enjoy a few, your, few short years of something that, that doesn't even last. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, I think it was on a Thursday night, most, most folks spend all that kind of time saving up money and they get there. Maybe they are somehow able to get all kind of money, but by the time they get to that point, they no longer have the physical strength and all of that to be able to enjoy it like the young do. People do all of that, and we're not willing to give significant time to our eternal preparation. I know it's Sunday night. Brother, I used to be preaching this Sunday morning. No, I'm preaching this Sunday night because it's all of us that fall into the same trap of getting caught up and living for this dimension that is only temporary. <laughs> there is so much. I think sometimes about the stuff I preach and so stuff about I teach and, and how easy it is to feel the pressure of just trying to help everybody feel better about this life and encourage you to make it one more day. You can make it one more day. I know that come back next Sunday night, I'll probably be preaching that message, but tonight's this, this is the message tonight. Just... Hang on. It'll get better. So what if it doesn't get better? So I'm going to throw in the towel spiritually and I'm going to walk away from God because he didn't bail me out of some circumstances and situations? You tell the dimension that we most focus on by the questions we most ask. There is no promise of explanation from God. There is no promise of an explanation for everything. Why? Why? We, we ask why. I, I don't know about you, but I've asked why a bunch. I've asked why about a lot of things, and most of the time I don't get any kind of answer. I still, I, it sort of makes me feel better to ask, even though I know he's not going to answer. Because he already has answered. He's already answered. He answered in Romans 8, I think it's 28. You want to know why? Because everything works together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That's why. You want to know why? Because he's more concerned about your eternity than he is about here. That's why. Why do bad things happen to good people? Books get written about that. DVDs get recorded about that. Every, some of you probably got that question. Others have asked it. That's always, a, always, that's a lot of times a challenge in the question of an unbeliever. How am I supposed to believe in a God? Why do bad things happen to good people? I, I give you the simple answer for that tonight. Bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things don't happen to good people. 
You believe the word of God, they don't happen to good people. Because according to the word of God, there's not any good. Oh, my goodness. Some of you are mad because you came hoping God was going to give you some temporary help for tonight. You see, the problem is we come to church to get another Advil or get another Tylenol. Give me a little bit more medication to dull the pain. Let's don't get down to the root of the problem. Don't put me on the table and do surgery and dig out the issue. Just make it go away for a little while. I get boy, what what made you mad, brother? Nothing. I'm not mad. I am concerned. I'm greatly concerned. I'm not mad. Gonna quit and give up. Somebody talked about us, mistreated us. Hopefully you got a nice loving message somewhere this morning. Although my motive is love, whether you think my dad spanked me, I don't know how many times. There's one thing for sure. It hurt, but I never questioned or doubted his purpose and reason. Contemplate backsliding and giving up because somebody did you wrong. Really? If this was the Lions Club or Knights of Columbus or whatever else, quit the club. Okay. This is the country club and they're mistreating you. Fine. Get out of the club. Keep your dues. Ties aren't your dues to this social club. Well, let somebody in this temporal dimension cheat me out of my eternity. Are you crazy? Time will be no longer. It's going to cease. But when it time ceases, that's not the end. That's only the beginning. There is no ending. I, you, you, your mind, your mind and my mind, I don't care how brilliant you are, we cannot truly comprehend eternity. There is no way to truly comprehend forever. I don't care how much you think about it, how much, I, 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 well, we know forever is forever. Yeah, right. Well, you, we don't grasp what forever is. I got to be honest, I'm not sure all of us really believe there is forever. We're not careful. Church attendance, going to church can simply be a part of society. I realize there's less people going to church today than ever before, but there's still enough folks that are just even though the Bible says there's no good, they're just good enough that they're going to go to church because that's what their family did. And, that's, and listen, if you're going to go to church, why not at least go someplace exciting? Of course, I guess the alternative is go someplace for 45 minutes once a week, get it done and over with. You can endure just about anything for 45 minutes, at least you're done. But some, you know, some folks, maybe it's, I mean, if you're going to go, let's at least go something that's a little more exciting, a little more fun. But I mean, really, it's just, you know, I mean, really, is there something else to come after all of this? Is there, is there really more? Is there really, is there really something afterwards? I got to tell you, most of us, by our action, 
demonstrate we don't really believe that. As lightly, as frivolously, as we treat this, we don't, we, we, it proves way down deep inside, I don't know that we're all that certain. Really, whether it's death or rapture, it's only the start. And again, what, what if, what if what we as apostolics have believed and taught and preached and continue to believe and teach and preach, what if it's all really not necessary? I said it before, I'll say it again tonight. If I, if, if, if I die or if I go in the rapture and I find out there's a bunch of what I did in this life I didn't have to do, I gotta tell you, I don't have any regrets. I will have been, may the Lord willing, <laughs> meaning we're both still alive. I don't mean if otherwise, but the Lord willing, in May, I will have been married 23 years to my first wife, my one and only wife. I got four wonderful, beautiful, handsome kids. Got great parents. I, I, I got awesome friends. I'm a part of an awesome group of believers. Got some awesome relationships with some wonderful people. Have a lot of great times with some wonderful people. Never regret those times. Never wake up the next morning, wish I hadn't have been with them the night before. I ne never do that. And so I'm worried about getting to the end and finding out I didn't have to do all of it. Really? I'm going to sit and question and see if I can somehow find the easy way out. I got a whole lot less to lose. I got a whole lot less to lose. If you're gambling on the minimum, you got a whole lot to lose. If I get to the end and find out most of this wasn't necessary, I haven't lost anything. Well, brother, right, you could have had a little bit more fun. I mean, there's some stuff you could have got addicted to. There's some stuff you could have done that could have destroyed your body. Look what you missed out on. Could have slept around and got some disease, or if you didn't get a disease, still live with the guilt of having done that. But, I mean, look what you meant. Really? Really? I, that's what I missed. Could have could have watched a few more movies than I watched. I mean, really? Looked at a few more pictures. I mean, get, really? Then, uh, really? Watched some. I mean, really? Gone, drank. Really? That's what I missed. That. I'll tell you something. I. One of the biggest lies of the devil, young people, is you got to find out for yourself. You got you to find out for yourself. One of the dumbest statements that anybody could ever make is to make to save parents. Well, you had the chance to do it, so I should get a chance to do it myself. Really? 
That's like telling somebody with third-degree burns on their body, you got to find out how bad, how much damage fire can do, so I ought to get to be able to find out myself. I'm so, it's the same thing. Well, you got to try to drink. You got to try to really. Time shall be no more. Luke chapter 16. Now I'm getting, we'll build the building. That's the foundation. Luke 16 and 19. This, based on the terminology here, my understanding, brethren, help me. My understanding, based on some of the terminology in this verse, this is not a parable. This is not a parable. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried away or was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. Now, I want you to see in this next verse, in verse 24, based on what is said here, if I could put it in this terminology, this was a religious man. This wasn't some reprobate sinner. Because he said, Father Abraham. There was a recognition of who it was. There was a connection. This wasn't just, hey, you, help me. Whoever you are, he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. It always amazes me what he asked for, just one simple drop. Didn't ask for a glass, didn't ask for a gallon, just dip his finger and give me one drop of water. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus received Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. You had your chance. Remember, he said. Remember the opportunities. Remember the moments. Before I get to this next verse, there's something most of us are familiar with. Some of us have submitted them, given them. Most of us, by this point in time, if you've been around church very long, then, then you've heard them. 
prayer request. Prayer request. Prayer request is somebody's need. Or is that alone? Isn't it amazing how many prayer requests that get made that simply have to do with something temporal? Prayer requests that are about God fixing something here and now. Oh, hallelujah. Prayer requests about God meeting needs in this life. You know, he said, take no thought. He said, I'm going to take care of your needs. I'm going to provide for you. I mean, what kind of father would I be if, if every day my kids had to get up and say, Dad, would you please provide some food for me today? Would you please provide some clothing for me to wear today? They don't ask. It is an expect, it's expected. It is expected at some point throughout the day, food is going to be provided. Is it, it is expected that if the pantry is empty and the, and the refrigerator is empty and, and the cupboard is empty, that, that, that mom and dad are going to take care of getting food somewhere. How is it that we, with our Heavenly Father, oftentimes insult Him by asking Him for things that He already promised, I will provide? Oh, my goodness. I keep saying it each week, and it ain't happening yet. One of these weeks, we're going to have fun, and I'll be to. Sometimes we have unspoken prayer requests. There's a lot of different prayer requests. Most of the time, who is it or who's the one we basically expect that has to answer the prayer? Thank you. God is the answerer of prayer. We pray and we ask God. We pray and we beseech God and I'm about to show you there's a prayer request. That not just God can answer, but you and I could actually answer. Then he said, this is the rich man, I pray thee therefore, Father, if you can't deliver me from where I am. If you can't bring me what I need, I've got one more request. Send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto them, unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, no. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. I, I wonder if part of the reason that the rich man said this is because he remembered himself.
And remember that he heard Abraham, or he heard the prophets, and he heard what others said, and he knew, looking back or thinking back, that he did not respond himself, and somehow thinking if somebody from the dead would have showed up to him, he might have changed his way. And he said unto him, Abraham said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Can I tell you tonight, in the midst of all of the prayer requests that you and I may submit and others from outside of this church may submit, hell has a prayer request. Hell's got a prayer request. Hell's prayer request is somebody... Somebody please go to my house. Somebody please go to my family. Somebody please go to my loved ones and tell them. Somebody please go while you and I sit in the comforts of a church service tonight. Some wanting to be here, some not wanting to be here. There are souls that are in eternity right now praying that somebody would please go and tell those that are loved ones and friends and family members and tell them what they can no longer tell them. I've come to challenge us tonight as a church to get back to rot, to remind us and hopefully get back and make sure we never, we never neglect our perf- purpose for existence. Thank God for church services. Thank God for the move of the Spirit in a church service. Thank God for the various ministries. Thank God for chili after church tonight, Brother Middleton. Thank God for holiday fellowships and Friday night youth prayer meetings and fellowships and youth congress and camps and all this stuff. Thank God for all of that. But that is not why we exist. That is not why we gather together three times a week. It's not just to support ourselves and help us get through another day or another week. But our whole purpose of existence is because Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. See, I think I'm afraid somehow all we ever hear when we talk about this kind of stuff is church growth and more people and more numbers, and that's not what it's all about. It's not being able to say that we got a full house. It's not being able to say how many thousands of people were in a church service. That's not the point because we're not building a company. We're not building an organization. We're not trying to build a club. We're not trying to build a crowd but we are here because there will be a point at which time will be no more I wonder what would happen to us tonight. I wonder what might happen to us tonight if somehow God could open our ears and we could hear the cries of some people we know that are now in an eternity lost and hear what they're saying, hear what they're begging, hear what they're hoping, hear them pleading for some of you. Father Abraham, please 
Please send somebody. Send somebody. I, I, I don't want to read into it. I don't want to overanalyze it. But I just believe that part of the reason that the rich man was so desperate is because he thought back to opportunities he had. And he was unmoved. And he was unresponsive. And he didn't make another step and another commitment and go a little a bit farther. And so he's thinking about himself and thinking maybe if something dramatic happens, maybe if something spectacular happens it'll change him Abraham responded with a statement that you and I would try to debate and said you know what even if somebody from the dead came back, it wouldn't matter. They've got Abraham and the prophets. And some of us sit tonight and we argue that, you know, it really would change if, if somebody that we had buried showed up at one of our houses and told us we need to get straight, we'd respond. I, I hope I don't overstep, Brother Phil. I'm not going to call any names, but overstep with this story. If I do, my apologies. But Brother Phil shared, and, and we had met with a bunch of elders yesterday. Brother Phil shared a story yesterday in, in our meeting about a, an individual that had that has been connected at some point in time to the Hispanic congregation. And, and this, this individual just a little while back, not too long ago, I mean, fairly recent past. I mean, we're not talking 10, 20 years ago, last year or so maybe, had the dream. Has a dream about hell, correct? And there was. Had this dream that apparently was extremely real about hell. All of a sudden, man, he's going to change. Going to have this, this miraculous turnaround. Shows up to church. And a week and a half later, the impact is worn off. He's gone back to the way things were. So our human mind, our human intellect says if there was some kind of phenomenal experience, so it was some kind of, you know, dream or whatever, it would, it would bring about a change. That's what's needed. And according to Father Abraham, or according to, yeah, Father Abraham, that's, that's not going to do it. Luke chapter 19 and verse 9, I just basically quoted, but I'll read it. Jesus said unto him, and he's speaking of Zacchaeus, This day is salvation come to this house. For so much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I don't believe this verse is just talking about the lost. Because it says that which that which was lost. But I do believe that within the context of what is being said here, that he is talking about the lost. That he came to seek and save the lost. And so we exist tonight as a church. The purpose of our existence is that very thing. Say it again, it's not about pumping numbers. It's not about us being able to boast amongst ourselves, congregation elders, we had 120 this week, or us as a church being able to tell some, we got, we had a thousand, we're running 2,500 people on Sunday morning, because the bottom line is, what, what, what do you, what difference does it make if you're running a couple thousand people when there are hundreds of thousands and even millions that are living around you lost? God, I did this, this, this. I'm assuming I'm not the only 
the only I never ran from my call to preach, but I got to tell you, there have been some times over the years that I have all some sort of wished that God made me something else. You know what? If you're, if you're, uh, I mean, we we got Burger King and we got McDonald's and we got Wendy's and we got Five Guys and and we, you know we got all these fast food restaurants. Go down West Street. For how many years has Burger King, McDonald's, and Wendy's been there? Right there. Years. If you Annapolitans that have been around, well, I'm not sure which which ones were there first. Who came first? But as long as I can, I can remember eating in that McDonald's on West Street as a kid. As long as I can remember, that McDonald's and Burger King have been there. I think maybe Wendy's came. I don't, I don't know, but not, all three of them right there. That old saying, within a stone's throw, that, you can spit on Wendy's from McDonald's. Neither one of them's going out of business. And you know what? Not everybody in Wendy's expects all the McDonald's people to come there. Everybody, the Burger King is not all that worried about people going to McDonald's or Wendy's. They got their group. They got their business. They're making money. Sometimes I think we think of this as business. It's not business. If you're in business, you don't expect everybody to be your customer. You don't expect to sell to everybody. But you know what? When you're dealing with the souls of people, everybody's got to go somewhere. Heaven or hell, everybody. Everybody, everybody, oh, hallelujah. Everybody. People that you pull up next to at the spot, at the stoplight, they're going someplace for eternity. Someplace. People you work with, family members, co workers, school. Someplace. There's prayer requests that only God can answer. There's things that only God can do, but you and I have the ability to answer hell's prayer requests. You and I have the ability to answer hell's prayer requests. Send somebody. Send somebody. Send somebody. Because I'm here, I now know what it's like, and I don't want anybody else to come here. How quickly, how quickly would that rich man have traded places in this life with Lazarus to now be where Lazarus was in eternal life? Wonder how many days, how many times that rich man passed by Lazarus and looked down on him for the condition he was in and, 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 and sneered at him and perhaps maybe at times even mocked him for the condition he was in and strutted around with his wealth and his riches. Now would gladly, gladly trade. clothing, the house, all of it. 
the life Lazarus had to now have the life Lazarus has. The Bible says there was a ruler that came to Jesus. What do I have to do to get eternal life? See, most of us ask the question because there's something on the inside of us that wants to know. I'm, I, 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 I saw video, I don't remember who posted it, but it was a video on Facebook the other day, and, and uh, I, I'm not in any way endorsing this individual by calling his name. I, I don't know everything there is to know about him, and so when I called his name, and if some of you know things that aren't good, then so I'm confessing, acknowledging I'm, this is not some big endorsement, but, but it, was, it, was a, it was a clip by um, Steve Harvey on Atheists. He'd have made a good preacher in the speech he was making. I don't know how somebody can believe there's no God. What's their moral compass? What do they refer to? He was on some kind of interview, and, and the, and the uh, interviewer was trying to pin him down, and he wasn't backing down. But you know what? I don't think anybody's born an atheist. I don't think anybody's ever born an atheist. I know I'm not the scholar, I'm not the whatever, but my, my, just my personal opinion, my own take is every atheist became an atheist as a result of some kind of an offense, some kind of situation and circumstance in life that they just couldn't wrap their brain around. How can there be a God if this happened? Or how can there be a God if this happens? And how could there be a God if I went through this and whatever? And so one of the ways to respond to that is simply say there is no God. And every one of us has something down inside that reaches out and wants to connect. So that rich young ruler says, what do I have to do for eternal life? And the Lord says, keep the commandments, do this. And he named a few, and the response was, I, I do that? And he said, well, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And come and follow me. Oh, Oh, that's not what I was not what I was bargaining for. <laughs> that's not the answer I was looking for. I was looking for something that would fit my budget. <laughs> See, I. I budgeted this much time and energy and effort for eternal life. But now you're asking more. The Bible says he went away sorrowful. Again, not a parable. I don't know if at some point that ruler had a change of heart and went back to Jesus. I don't know. We're never specifically told about him again. What I do know is if he didn't, I got a feeling he probably is praying the same or prayed the same prayer that the rich man prayed. And I also bet you he prayed if I could just have one more chance. 
If I was able to go back to that day, to that moment, I'd give a different answer. I'd give a different answer. I'd respond a lot different. I, I bishops preach it in the past, and when you study it out, one of, I think one of the worst things about hell is going to be those having to remember the opportunities, remembering the chances they had to respond, and remembering the pleas of the Holy Ghost and the love of God and the mercy and the grace of God, but disregarding it and walking away from it and somehow wishing if I could just do it one more time, time if I could just go back again you see most of us sit here tonight especially if you're an adult there's every one of us has regrets every one of us has got some things if we could go back and do differently we would and we can't but the good thing is right now we've got the blood and there's the cross and there's forgiveness and there's grace and mercy. And so even though I can't go back and redo it, I don't have to live under the punishment of that if I deal with it the right way. But once it's all over with and once I've entered eternity, I no longer got the blood and grace and mercy. It's done. So hell cries out, please send somebody. Please send somebody. Brother Adam, I don't know where you are, but Brother Weevling, whoever it is, you guys can skip what I was going to do at the end. Spent the... I've said it before. I am... A, I am a sentimental fool. We've lived now for years and years. And you never know how much stuff you have until you move. You thought it was only human beings that reproduce, living things that reproduce, and you find out somehow stuff reproduces. We've spent years now since we've moved from house to, over the past couple of years. The houses, each, every time we've moved to a new house, and it's only been a couple of times, but each time we moved, there was, there was always undealt with stuff from the last house. We moved to the house we're in now, and the first couple of years we were there, the basement was unfinished, and so we lived for about four year with, years with boxes and boxes and Boxes of stuff. I know, I hear some of you, and I wish I could be like you. Just judge us if you want to. But I'm not like you, and I know I'm not alone, but if you haven't used it for six months, just throw it away. I, I know that. I understand. Some of you do that. Good for you. I'm not you. And I'm not going to try to become you. I won't judge you because you aren't sentimental and don't hang on to stuff and keepsakes and memories and judge me if you want to or don't want to. I don't care. I'm keeping my stuff. So last summer we got, last summer we got, uh, we were blessed to be able to finish our basement. and Stuff went to the garage and sat for a while and then we kind of dealt. So... Starting about a week and a half ago, endeavored again to to deal with stuff. 
I did get rid of several boxes, several bags of trash, several things went to Goodwill, and I also started some new bins and new boxes. It's just now sorted. Unfortunately, I have reproduced after my kind, and I've got now children with bins of stuff. I got cards from birthdays and anniversaries and graduations that I will never read again. I will probably never look at again. But until the day I die, they will be in that box. I've got, I've got things that I have no idea what they're from. All I know is at some point they got put in a keepsake box so if they got put in that box, they had some kind of value, so I may not ever remember what they're from, but I'm keeping them. Some of you are not blessed with that issue. God bless you. I can hear some of you, just throw it away. No. Problem is now it's not just my stuff, it's my kids' stuff, and if they don't keep it, then I'm going to keep it. <laughs> I was going through one of those boxes. As I was going through one of those boxes, I came across something. I started reading, and <clears throat> many of you know. Angie's mother passed away in 1998, 1988. I came across a copy of a letter to the editor, essentially. This is what it said. The caption is, Near Death. Sir, last October I was diagnosed as having cancer of the bile duct one of the fastest progressing and most deadly forms of cancer. It had spread into my liver and I was beginning to de deteriorate rapidly. I was accepted into a cancer research program at Johns Hopkins, headed up by Dr. Stanley Order. Although I received massive doses of radiation in January, February, and March of this year, this is 1988, the cancer continued to grow and I became weaker and weaker. On April 17th, again 1988, on April 17th I became extremely ill and was rushed to the hospital in a delirious condition. My ammonia level was very high and I was bleeding internally. The next day the doctors called in my family. I was about to die. It was not my time to die, though, and after a day or so, I regained my senses. Realizing I was at death's door, I called upon the name of the Lord from the depths of my soul. He heard my cry. As soon as I was released from the hospital, I went to Antioch, the Apostolic Church in Arnold, and was baptized in the name of Jesus as the Bible instructs. For years, I had rejected this form of baptism, insisting that my earlier baptism in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost was, and Holy Ghost was good enough. But it wasn't good enough 
I was lost, and I was dying. I have had no treatments for my cancer of any kind since last March. On August the 2nd, I was re-examined by Dr. Order. He told me my cancer was now half the size it was last May. New tissue is forming in my liver. I am healed, and I feel better right now than I have at any time during the past year. I want to publicly thank my friend Diane Thompson, Pastor Chester Wright, and my daughter Angela Houston for being so patient with me and never giving up. Most of all, though, I want to thank Jesus, my healer. The movie makers may think they know who Jesus was, but they don't. He was not a mere man who could be tempted or could forsake his deity for the things of this world. He was God manifested in the flesh. He did not have to decide whether or not to be deity. He was deity. He was not the second person out of three either. Jesus Christ is the first and the last, the only divine person there ever was. And I thank Him with all my heart for all He has done for me. Just a few months later, she passed away. But there's no prayer request from hell tonight. There's no having to pray and beg that somebody would go because she didn't. And so you and I sit tonight and I was going to do something else in closing and I'm going to change that. I'm going to give two altar calls here tonight. I'm not going to say where to come because I'm not trying to single anybody out. I want to give one altar call tonight to those that would acknowledge that you've become more caught up in the temporal, Sister Bailey, than you are in the eternal. That much of your focus in Christianity has become about this life and improving this life and God improving your health and your body. We, we sat yesterday and talking to Brother and Sister Gross about their congregation and Sister Gross's dealing with health issues and suffering and pain. And, 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 and I know we've prayed and she's been prayed for in church, but I, I just felt led for us to pray for her again. And we gathered around her and we prayed for a little while and I felt the presence of the Holy Ghost and felt the touch of God, but I, I have no idea of, of what God's going to do. I, I have no idea of the issues she's dealing with, if God's going to take care of those things. I, I don't really know, but what I do hope and believe, and I think Sister Gross has what it takes to realize if she lives the rest of this life in pain and God never does take care of those issues, it's not about this life. It's about that life to come. We're a whole lot better off going into that life in pain and suffering than we are going into an eternal life of damnation without pain and issues and problems. And so if, it, if you're in that category that you've gotten caught up in focusing on this temporal dimension, but somehow tonight you would like by the help of the Holy Ghost to get your eyes back on that eternal dimension and somehow by the help of the Holy Ghost live this life, not for this life, 
life, but for the life to come. I invite you to come. But I also want to invite those to come that want to recommit themselves. That I want to I want to be involved in answering hell's prayer request. Not about trying to get people to come to my church. Not about trying to get people to come to my congregation. Not about just trying to get somebody to attend so we can brag or be excited or feel better about somebody that came to church. But it's about the fact that hell is praying. Hell is crying. Somebody please go. Somebody please go. There's a great gulf fixed and they can't go now. But they're asking for you and I to go. They're asking for you and I to go. Send somebody, send somebody, send somebody so they can have a testimony that I was near death, but God offered another chance, and I experienced salvation, and I may not have lived as long as I wanted to in this life, but I'm now going to enter eternal life, prepared for eternal life. Oh, God, stir this body of believers. Stir us again, God. Renew within us a passion. Renew within us a burden for those that are perishing. Renew within us, God. It's not about attendance. It's not about just trying to get a guest or a visitor to come to church. But it's about a soul that at some point they're going to enter that eternal dimension. We have been called. We have been commissioned. We have been saved. Not only for our own personal benefit, but we've been saved to help somebody else, to provide an opportunity to somebody else. God, Don't let us sit complacent in a church service. Don't let us sit complacent in a care group or some kind of fellowship and content because we're getting ministered to and we're receiving what we need and we're getting a touch from you when there is a lost world that is in need of you. Oh, God, Father, I pray that you would stir us, stir every elder, stir every person in leadership, stir every care group leader, every Sunday school teacher, every usher, every greeter, every youth involved in youth and campus ministry and whatever it is the involvement is and those that may not be involved in a specific ministry at this point, stir us, God. Let us hear the sighing of the prisoner. Let us hear the hurting. 
Let us hear the desperate. Let us be able to hear beyond what we see. Help us to not be caught up in what we see on the outside, the apparel, the hairstyle, the outward appearance, but help us to hear the cry of a soul that is desperate for hope, desperate for an answer, desperate for salvation, even if they're not even aware of what that, that's what they're really looking for. But the soul is crying out. Help Antioch tonight, God. Help Antioch tonight not to live focused on this temporal dimension that is going to come to an end. Focused on what is temporary. Focused on what is not going to last forever. But help us, God, to live under the weight, under the focus of an eternity that is going to last forever. I know, I know we sit tonight with our issues and our problems and some of you are going through marriage difficulties and some of you got trouble with your kids and some of you got trouble with your parents and financial issues and health issues. I'm not trying to ignore all of that. I'm not trying to minimize all of that, but it's temporal and there are those with an eternal need. There's some people in hell tonight that are crying out for people you know, people that you know. Somebody go. Somebody tell them. Somebody. Before it's too late. Before it's too late, please tell them. Before it's too late, please tell them. We are here as a body to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, and we can't get to heaven without each other. But that's not the sole purpose of our existence. And if we are healthy only focusing on each other, then ultimately we're not healthy because that's not the only reason we exist. Help us. Help us. Help us, help us. At the end of broken dreams, help us tonight, God. He's the open door. People need the Lord. Ayala la bosa talala mai. Ikala la bosa taramando lo lo bosa yu. Ayala la bossa ta ramando lo bossa Ayala la bocco reia e na la bossa ta la la mai Ayala la bocco sata la la mando lo bocco ya
name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 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 Stir us, God. Stir us. Stir us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, yes. You are still the way. You are still the answer. You are still the way. It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. You're still the answer. Still the way. You're still the deliverer. You're still the hope. You're still the Savior. You're still the deliverer. You're the same. You're the same. You're the same. Jesus. 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 There is no other. Jesus is the way. Oh, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Somebody 
for a moment. Sometimes we sow the seed and we forget that it's a seed. And we oftentimes don't have patience with the seeds of the word we sow like we do with the natural seeds we sow. Something doesn't happen instantaneously and we get discouraged and disillusioned. Question the effectiveness of what we've done. I, as I read this to you tonight in statement that was made for years, I had rejected this form of baptism, insisting that my earlier baptism in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost was good enough. If... <laughs> If that's all you know of the story, that doesn't sound like very much comparison, but I can't tell the details like my wife can, but her mother's opposition was much more than just believing that her former baptism was good enough. It was to the point that they actually tried, I think, hired somebody or hired somebody to try to deprogram her and her sister's because of the cult that they were in. My wife could tell you some of the stories, the extent that her mother went to fighting her and her sister's involvement in this. It wasn't just she opposed baptism in Jesus' name. There was some great resistance. You see, I've said it many times, and as I read this, this reminded me some of you have promises for the salvation of loved ones. You get frustrated and you get about to give up. More than likely, if you'd be honest, when God promised you the salvation of that loved one, He never told you exactly when. So the question is, what's most important? That it happens right now so you can stop praying and having to believe for it? Or is what's most important that it happens? And even if it is like with Angie's mother just a couple of months before, the point is that it happens. Some of you have gotten weary of believing and given up. I encourage you tonight to trust the power of the seed that's been sown the power of the Holy Ghost that's able to produce something from that seed in God's time and in God's way. In Jesus' name. If you would, could we just another time or two, if you're still praying, you can pray. If you're not praying, could we sing this together tonight as our declaration in the midst of all the chaos and confusion, in the midst of all the issues and troubles of our world, Jesus is still the answer. He's still the way. And you and I are blessed and benefited tonight to have experienced that and know that. But there's a whole world out there that is yet to know that. There's a whole world out there that still wants to hear what you've heard. He's the answer. For the world today, above Him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Oh.
Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. to do so if you're still praying feel free to do that remind you again that the food is available downstairs in the fellowship hall you'd like the fellowship for a little bit is the answer for the world today above him there's no other Jesus is the way Jesus is the answer for the world today above him there's no other Jesus is the way Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer 